Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. This morning is about fully engaging with God. And I wanted to read you a passage of scripture which is familiar to every Jewish person on the planet from time immemorial, they would have heard this scripture passage and they would have uh, repeated it or prayed it over their lives once, maybe twice, sometimes three times a day. And you don't have to do much in this prayer. We're going to read it three times over and then there'll be moments of silence in between each time we read it. This is a little practice that has been called Lectio Divina, or sacred reading. And so we just take a small passage of Scripture, and we meditate or chew on that passage of Scripture and ask questions with what God might be drawing your attention to this morning. Because the truth is, this morning, is that you've not come to hear, like, great worship or a great sermon or anything like that. You've come to meet with God. And so we like to create some space just for you to hear from God what he might be saying to you this morning. I could say all kinds of things this morning. Some of them might be useful, others might not be useful or helpful, but the words of God are what we've come to hear. And so we just want to create some space to do that. Does that sound good? Okay, so I'll read it three times. The first time we read it through, you just want to be asking God, where are you drawing my heart and my mind? Where where are my affections leaning toward this morning? What word or phrase sticks out to me this morning? And then we'll get into some of the why. So come, Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak. We invite you to speak. Come, open the eyes of our hearts, open the ears of our lives to hear from you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Let's take a minute and just ask the Lord what word or phrase might he be drawing your heart's attention to this morning? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Be asking God, since you've drawn my attention to that word or that phrase, what does that mean? What does that mean for me this morning? Why? Why are you drawing my heart towards that word or phrase?
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I'm going to be asking God in this moment, you've drawn my heart to this word or phrase. You've shown me why. Ask the Lord, what difference does this make in my life? What are you inviting me into as a result of hearing your word and hearing it again? What would you have me do? What would you be inviting me into? God, we thank you for little moments like this where there, we truly are before you as we are all of the time. Simply sons and daughters. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence among us. Thank you that you do speak, that you're not mute, that you do speak to us. You haven't left us alone. And I pray today that your word would go forward. I pray that you would enable me to speak the things that are on your heart, that you desire for folks' encouragement and, and, and growth. We pray that you would have your way, Jesus. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Your rule and your reign over every heart. Come walk through us. Come walk among us, Jesus. Living Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Fully engaged with God. You know, when we come to worship Jesus Christ, we come to worship a living Savior. And this week, my heart was just blown up at just what a crazy thing it is that we do that we uh, relegate to like Sunday morning, you know, and we're like, okay, this is our Sunday. We're going to sing a little bit. We're going to hear about the things that are happening at the church. We're going to hear a word from pastor. We're going to maybe pray for one another, and then we're going to go enjoy some pizza. But it's just such a wacky thing that we do. You know, you've set aside time in your week to devote to being in God's presence, this, this totally other thing from what you do all during the week. It's like, you're, you, it's like we're saying with our lives, um, there is this other entity that actually comes into the room, that actually transforms our life. And it's not just something that's relegated to a Sunday morning. But it's this weird thing of like, yeah, we worship this being Yahweh, this God over all other little gods, over all of creation, there is a God, and He does not stay far away. He comes close. He draws near to us. 
And what a crazy thing that is. What a crazy notion that is that you've come here this morning expecting for this otherness to like show up. And not that he would just show up, but that he would change our lives. And so in full faith, I've been saying over the past couple of weeks, there are folks who have come in this morning who will leave a completely different person. There are callings that God will speak this morning that will change the trajectory of your entire life. And we're not the authors of faith. You know, it's not something that we conjure up within ourselves or hype ourselves up, up enough to feel God. You know, if I just, if I just feel, I can feel God. Now we're told in Scripture that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus gives the gift of faith to us. And when faith is present in the room, when we truly expect that God will show up. How many of you know that he's faithful to his word? That he will show up? That you do belong to God? That he's meant for you, created you to engage with his spirit? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now moving in the hearts of his people and changing our lives. What a crazy notion that is. It's weird what you believe, Christian. That some Jewish guy was killed under Roman authority, murdered, and by his blood <laughs> poured out on some cru in some crucifixion, like murder, um, that, that, that you can be, have eternal life with God through that way? <laughs> How weird is that? It's such a crazy thing. It's such a crazy way that God has chosen to bridge the gap to bring fellowship between men and women and himself. And that's what we gather around this morning. To be fully engaged with him. To be fully engaged with his presence. To be fully present to the notion that like Jesus actually wants to show up, and he actually wants to change your life. He actually has things that he wants to speak to you this morning. A crazy premise. What a crazy thing to structure and gather our lives around. The Shema, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. There's three things to note about this passage. This passage of scripture, which every Jewish child is brought up hearing and, and repeating every day of their lives. And there are three little insights that this passage give us in what it means to be fully engaged with God. And the first one is the priority of God. Above all other things, that God would have preeminence in our lives. That he is the priority. And simply put, what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is, a sheer grace and mercy of God that we would have relationship with him. That's craziness. And because of that, because of that, the, the injunction here is that we, we are to prioritize him because he prioritized us. 
And that's what every Jewish child would have heard in this, in the repeating of this scripture every day of their lives. Because he rescued the Jews from slavery, uh, delivered them from captivity, delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians after 400 years of slavery, the least they could do is prioritize Yahweh as number one, as first and foremost. God, you have the priority because you first loved us. And that's what the Apostle John writes in chapter 4, verse 10 of his first epistle in defining what love is. He says the only reason that we know or can experience what love is is because we've been loved first. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I didn't have it within myself, and you didn't have it within yourself to love God first. Isn't that amazing? What a great starting point for us this morning. To know that there is nothing in you that cried out to love God first. That, e that inclination that you had to love God, that he put that there first. Yeah, there's nothing true that runs in me. There's nothing good that runs in me. But it's the goodness of God by which I know goodness, you see. It's his love first that motivates me to love him in return. And here in Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, prioritize God. The priority of God first. What a privilege it is to be in relationship with Almighty God. That's what it means to be fully engaged with God. is to prioritize him first above all other things. Now, if that wasn't tough enough for us, we hear the second theme in this scripture about what it means to be fully engaged with God, and that's the particularity of God. The particularity of God. We read, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Other translations might read, the Lord God, the one and only, the one Lord, the Lord alone. And this would have been huge in its context, and should be for us here this morning. In, it, in its context, the Lord, the Lord alone. You have to hear this and how it hits is the Israelites' ears. They've just, been, listen, they've just been rescued out of slavery, out of, Egyptian, out of Egyptian territory. Moses, the Lord has led them through Moses out of slavery. In which time, God used ten plagues to soften the hard heart of Pharaoh. And each one of these plagues symbolized God's um, authority over all of the false idols that the Egyptians were worshiping. The frogs represented a god. The blood in the Nile River represented a god. An Egyptian god, a false god, so the Israelites were coming out of this land of idolatry, out of this land of false gods, and they hear in Deuteronomy through Moses, the Lord your God is one. The Lord, the Lord only. And they're headed to Canaan. 
They're headed to the land of Canaanites. And if there wasn't a more evil land than the land of the Egyptians, it would be the land of Canaan. These are the descendants of Cain, you see, back to Lamech and back to Cain. And these seven nations, the seven-nation army, long before Jack White wrote it to be played at every kickoff of every NFL game, Uh, no football, you guys, no, okay, Uh, (laughs) Um, so there are seven nations in Canaan, they all descend from Lamech back to the seed of Cain, and they're evil uh, nations who uh, the Lord uses the Israelites to drive out of the land. In a similar motif to the fall, and a similar motif to the flood, now the Israelites are driving the, this, this evilness that has um, been embodied in these seven nations from the land flowing with milk and honey. And they're evil because of the way of the snake, back to the garden. But they're, they're, they're wicked because of the false gods that they worship. They've chosen to set up false gods, not to worship the true God. And so the Israelites here, on the backside of being delivered from Egypt, and before they enter the land of Canaan, the Lord your God is one. There's a particularness about Yahweh. He's set apart from all of the other little gods. He's set apart from the idols who can't speak or hear. He's alive. And that's what it means to be fully engaged with God. The priority of God, the particularity of God, and the purpose of God. Lastly, the purpose of God. You shall love. I put shall in there, a little King James for you this morning. The NIV is like, "Mm, we're not too comfortable with authority, so we're just going to say, you love the Lord your God. You know, like in your spare time, just love the Lord your God. NIV is like, we're going to scratch shall. But I put the King James up here for you to hear in its context. This is a command, you see, for the Israelites to love God. The purpose of God. And on, on, on the surface, this is simple. We read this and we read, oh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, your soul. But it's really profound when you just sit with it for a moment. God is saying through Moses, you shall love the Lord your God. That sounds a lot like a command, doesn't it? How many of you have tried to command love? Anybody married out there? How, okay. How how did that work out for you when you tried to command love from your spouse? I mean, what if if today, after we got home from church, I was like, Sarah, you shall love me. How do you think that that would go over? Anybody? (laughs) At At the very least, Cindy, at the very least sleeping on the porch. You shall love me, right? It brings up all of these negative connotations. And the reason it does that is because of the way we think about love culturally. 
The way we think about love culturally is that it's an emotion, it's a feeling, it's not something we do, but it's rather something that we feel. And what God is saying here in the purpose of God is that it's less like that and it's more like commitment, covenant, promise. It's a commitment to God and it's also a commitment of God to his people that he's committed to the Israelites. And he's committed, if you claim Jesus, God is committed to you. Till death do you part. We're not called the bride for nothing. Jesus is committed to you in a way that no other human relationship could express. He's that committed to you. And so, we see that there is a connection and here's where we get tough. Here's, here's where we get down to it. There is a connection between loving God and being obedient to God. And this is what it means to be fully engaged with him. We see it all over the scriptures. And so the weight of the scriptures backs, backs this up. And this is not legalism. Hear it in covenant and commitment and promise, not legalism, rules to follow. That, that's what the Lord is speaking. It's all over Scripture. Listen, listen to the Old Testament. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him? Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge and his statutes, his judgments and his commandments always. Here's another one. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God, serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. If you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God. Here's another one. And if you keep all these commandments to do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God. And in that command you today to love the Lord your God, and walk in his ways and keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments. It's all over this connection between love and obedience. And it's not just relegated to the Old Testament. In John, Jesus, from the lips of Jesus, if you love me, Jesus says to us today, this morning, if you love me, you will obey what I command. John 14, 23. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he or she will obey my teaching. My Father will love him or her, and we will come to him and make our home with him. There's this connection between love and obedience. It's not just... Get out of here. It's not just empty words. Jesus is saying... Our words should be expressed. Love does. The con Another way to say it is that the content of loving God is giving him our yes. The substance of love is in giving Jesus our yes. You know, Jesus was asked what the great... Man, this fly is like hanging around. Look at that. Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment. 
by a bunch of religious teachers. He's like, what, what is the greatest one? If we can just focus on one, what is it? And then Jesus answers, and he gives them two answers, not one. He quotes the Shema. He says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. He adds mind to it. And then he says, he adds, love your neighbor as yourself. Two commandments, one command. So the implication here from Jesus is that when you love one another, you're loving one another and you're loving God. Or another way to say it is that you cannot love God unless or until you love your neighbor, until you love others. So to be fully engaged with God, there's this um, emphasis on the word all, all your strength, all your heart, all your soul. And for us here this morning, what I hear the Lord speaking over us is that he wants all of our affection. He doesn't want our affection to be divided in two. First heart. The Hebrew writers of the Old Testament, when they said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, they meant the control center of your inner being, where your feelings, your desires, your emotions spring from. Love him and express love to him from that place. There's been a huge um, misunderstanding for what we do with desire and what we do with emotions in the Western church. Huge misunderstanding. We tend to like push desire away because it's bad. What I hear the Hebrew writers here and throughout the Old Testament saying is that like those things matter before God. Your emotions matter before God. Your passions, your desires, your feelings matter before God. And so from that place, from the feeling place, express love to God from that place. To be fully engaged means that you engage God from that place of feeling, emotion, and desire, the inner control center. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Your soul is who you are as a person, your identity, if you will, your body and your spirit. It's used to express yourself, that place that's um, particular to who you are created in the image of God. You know, there's no one like you on the face of the planet. I don't give in to the multiple universes conspiracy theory. I believe you are one in infinity. God created you individual. He made you on purpose. There, are, there aren't some other versions of you in parallel universes doing different things or the same things. You're it. You're it. The fingerprint of God is inscribed on your life. And you're it. You're the only Sarah with an H. You know, you're it. And so when the Shema says, love the Lord your God with all of your soul, it's talking about that place. Love God from that place that makes you, you. Express love to the Lord from that place. The psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. 
It's who you are. Love God from that place. And then lastly, all your strength. And this one, you guys, ah, I'm going to save it for Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. He's going to share it with you. But this one blew me up this week. Love the Lord your God with all of your strength. The writer here and the and, and the Lord's voice to us, his heart this morning, is not like a weightlifter or like a gym bro. Like, worship the Lord your God with all of your strength, physical strength. It's got little to do with physical strength, actually. But we hear it, and we, it's been translated for us, and it's a very poor translation to love the Lord your God with all your strength. So we think, oh, well, i got to, like, be physical about my love for God, which you kind of do. However... I digress. Love the Lord with all of your strength. The Hebrew word is me'od. Me'od. And what it means is very exceedingly muchness. Don't you love that? Love the Lord your God with very exceedingly muchness. With muchness. With everything. So to be fully engaged with God means that We're to see every moment, every opportunity, every interaction to love God with everything that's within us with very exceedingly muchness. Worship God with all of your strength. Be fully present with him. Be engaged with him. All of your heart, your emotions, your desires, your passions, with all of your soul, with that which makes you you. Worship him from there. And with all of your strength, you're owed with exceedingly muchness, worship God. That's what it means to be fully engaged with God. With every capacity to love the one who created you. That's worth engaging over. That's worth engaging over any football game that happens in our city. That's worth engaging it over and above any job that you could land that's worth engaging in over and above any, um, any other thing, any other lesser love. That's worth it. There's a couple of stories that exemplify this in the New Testament, and one of them is in Luke 7. And the story is about a woman who Jesus said will be remembered for time immemorial because of what she did. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her hair and with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Here's the key. Now, which one of them will love him more. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the, big, uh, the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said, you judge correctly. 
Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. Got it? Did you get that? There it is. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Come on. He or she who has been forgiven much loves much. The secret here and in our lives, the secret here to loving God much is contemplating and then acting from that place where you know and express simply the immeasurable debt that Jesus has paid for you. How vast and how deep his mercy is for you. You and I have been saved from so much. The mercy of God is such that you don't even know the depths of the things that he saved you from. What? There are ways that Jesus has saved me that I won't be aware of until I meet him face to face. There are dangers and perils that he has spared my life from that to him are very present that I have no idea about. There were ways that I took a right turn on Euclid instead of on Ninth. That I just, do you see what I'm saying? Do you see where I'm going with that? That there are ways that Jesus has saved you and I that we have no idea of. And the idea here is that his mercy is so vast and so deep to be fully engaged with God, like this woman in the story from Luke 7, is to be aware that just how much Jesus has saved you and I from. And that leads us to love God so we can see what we're saved for. Because if we realize just the depth of sin that we have been saved from, it empowers us to see that we're saved for and we're saved into loving for loving, for a purpose, that the reason he saved us from all of this stuff back here is because he's got all this good stuff for us in front of our lives. To usher in his kingdom, to bless you, to welcome you into a family, to say you belong with me. That's the good stuff. Ah, oh, man, it's too good. I'm keeping you here another five minutes. You're just going to have to deal with it. Okay, so Jesus is on the beach with Peter, right? 
And Peter's, he's, he's betrayed him. Three times he was asked, do you, know, do you know this man, Jesus? You're one of his, aren't you? And Peter's like, nope, don't know the man. What? I was, that's not who I am. Three times he betrayed Jesus. Jesus called it before. And then the risen Jesus prepares fish on the beach for his disciples, and he pulls Peter aside. Oh, Peter. I love Peter. And he asks Peter a question. He asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, heck yeah, bro. Love you. Jesus is like, "Mm mm-mm. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter's like, (laughs) Peter's like, Jesus, I love you. I've told you I love you before. You're amazing. I love you. Jesus gets real serious. Peter, do you love me? The closest I can come in this translation is really dialing down my voice a little bit and like staring at you. But that doesn't do it justice. Let this sink for a minute. In the Greek, Jesus is asking Peter something different than the answer Peter provides Jesus. Jesus asks Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with everything that is within you? Everything, every ounce, every cell that I made in your DNA. Do you love me there? Do you agape me, Peter? You know what Peter answers? Lord, I phileo you. Bro, I'm fond of you. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Peter, do you agape me? Then feed my lambs. You see, Peter knew that he could not look in the eyes of his master and give him the answer to the question that Jesus asked. He knew that Jesus could see right through him. How many of you know Jesus is looking right through you right now and knows the deepest, darkest things of your heart? He knows, he knows every single thing. All of the things that we try to keep not exposed to everybody else, he sees those things. And so as Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter knows he's got the eyes of Jesus on his heart now. And he, the, he, he has to be honest with Jesus. He has to say, I phileo you. He can't say, I agape you. Because he knows, and this is why this moment on the beach is so powerful for Peter. This is why this moment on the beach, Jesus knew that he couldn't ascend to the Father without having this moment take place first. Why? Because Peter's the rock on which the church is going to be built. And you can't, who knows, before you ascend to heaven, before you go do that thing, you can't leave relationships just like, I don't know, insecure, like, I don't know, does that person like, you know, like, he couldn't leave it like that. He says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, I phileo you. He knew he couldn't say, I agape you back. Because he had just betrayed him. 
And then Jesus, the third time, do you love me? Peter breaks. And I think the NIV is mild. I think Peter's on his knees here. I think Peter's weeping. And I think Peter, and it says in the Greek, Peter finally says, Lord, I agape you. And he's hurt. And Jesus reinstates him and brings him in. Now you get it, Peter. This is what it means to be fully engaged with God. Peter, once you get it, once you start feeding my lambs, then you'll be expressing to yourself and to others what it really means to love God. That's what it really means to love God. That's what it really means to be fully engaged with Him. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Every single thing, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, everything for the glory of God. Why don't you join me in standing?